And welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, Julie Gunlock joins us to talk about the truth behind vaccinations and the measles with 1,022 cases of measles outbreaks reported this year alone, which, by the way, is the highest it's been since 1994. This is an important conversation that we need to have, and actually the country is starting to have, which is good. Um, She'll discuss how the anti-vaccination movement started and how serious of an issue these outbreaks are, especially for children. Julie Gunlock is the director of the Independent Women's Forum Center for Progress and Innovation before joining IWF. She served as a presidential staff member of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee and on the House Homeland Security Committee. Julie has written about food and culture for many news outlets and is a regular guest on regional and national programs across the country. Finally, she's the author of a very entertaining book. You should get it if you haven't read it. From Cupcakes to Chemicals, How the Culture of Alarmism Makes Us Afraid of Everything and How to Fight Back. Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, so it sounds like when it comes to measles, this is something that we should raise alarm about, um, make sure that people yeah. are afraid of this. This is a topic that you've been talking about for a long time, raising the alarm of how important it is to vaccinate. Do you feel like people are finally listening to you? Yeah, I do. I think that this outbreak, this latest outbreak of measles um, has really frightened people and uh, made the issue come to the forefront uh, for a lot of folks, look, for, for many, many years, um, uh, we, we didn't see uh, measles. In fact, measles was eradicated um, from the United States in, in the 1980s. Now, that doesn't mean it was gone uh, worldwide around the, the world, but it was gone from the United States. It could still be imported, um, but what would happen is usually because so many people were vaccinated against measles, the disease wouldn't find a happy host. In other words, it couldn't find a home, so it would die out. And that's that's where we get the word eradication. When you have such a high percentage of uh, the population vaccinated that these diseases simply cannot spread, and it can't can't even spread among the unvaccinated, and that's something called herd immunity, which I'll get into later. Um, But because now, and and again, with measles, you only need a 5% decrease in the amount of vaccinations, Um, and we've seen that. In some cases, it's way higher than that. And when you dip below that, you start to see outbreaks and infections. I want to start with where this anti-vaccination movement started. I know I personally think about Jenny McCarthy and talking about her son who had autism and saying that, your, your child has a higher likelihood of getting autism if they're vaccinated. How did that start, and are any of those claims true? Well, look, the va- anti-vax movement has been around since vaccines were around, so it's not something new. It's been around, again, for hundred year, uh, hundreds of years. But the modern anti-vax movement, some, the thing that we're dealing with today, started in the mid-'90s, and you mentioned Jenny McCarthy. She was certainly a part of it. But it goes back before that. Um, Andrew Wakefield, in the mid-'90s, Andrew Wakefield, who was, and I stress was, a medical doctor and researcher in the U.K., published a story in The Lancet. The Lancet is a British medical journal, the most respected medical journal out there. He published a study saying that he had found a connection between autism 
and the MMR vaccine. The MMR vaccine is measles, mumps, and rubella. They have joined them together, so you get one shot. Actually, you get two shots over um, uh, over so many months. But um, the MMR vaccine is what he said was connected to autism. Now, this study made headlines, as you can imagine, right? Because one thing you have to understand about the autism community and parents of autistic children, um, there's no re- we don't know why we still to this day do not know why kids develop autism and it is incredibly painful particularly if you have a severely autistic child who perhaps is nonverbal it's very painful when your child has a disease or has a a condition and you're not able you don't know why they develop that condition this leaves those parents quite vulnerable to conspiracy theories to suggestions that it might be something. We see this all the time. We see people told, oh, it's the food they eat, or it's what you ate when you when you had the baby in utero, which is particularly painful. Um, there, there was just recently a study that came out, not a, a very flawed study that came out that talked about junk food and the mother's consumption of junk food and the rates of autism. And I mean, the, I looked at that study. That study was incredibly flawed. There needs to be a lot more rigorous studies on that suggestion, but you can imagine a mom seeing that, you know, uh, the mother of an autistic child and going, oh, gosh, you know, did I eat too many bags of chips or did I, you know, you're hungry when you're pregnant. And so this, well, it this, fits um, into this mommy, mommy shaming culture, mom shaming that we see. And right. I think what surprises me about it to kind of detour just a little bit and then I want want you to finish, it's what is the goal of this? Why why do people make statements that aren't backed up by research? Who is that really helping? Because it se- sounds like not only is it putting more people in danger, in this case not vaccinating, but it also creates so much anxiety for parents who worry that they did something wrong. Yeah, look, there are – it's interesting. If you hear people answer this question – they will go meandering into a 20-minute answer. And I have a very fast answer, a very quick answer, and it's always, always the right answer, and that is the money. It's always money. It is incredibly profitable to scare people. And going back to to Andrew Wakefield, that's what drove him. It turns out that uh, he sort of had a side job, right, a little side gig going on. A little hustle. Yeah, a little hustle going on where he was developing a – an alternative MMR vaccine, which he was going to then market as not causing autism. Now, the, now I know I, I'm, I apologize for going on a large, a long tangent there, but the Andrew Wakefield thing is really important. It turns out they found that Andrew Wakefield had abused the children in his study. He had acted fraudulently, and for and he he looked for profit in suggesting that there was a uh, connection between autism and the and the current MMR vaccine. He also did totally unethical things. He, 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 at his child's birthday party, he stuck the kids. He got blood samples from kids at his own child's birthday party and did not, did not even ask permission for it. The long, the, the short story, the, the, to shorten the story rather, Andrew Wakefield ended up losing his license. Um, they, the, the medical board found that he was incredibly unethical and had actually damaged the entire UK medical profession. Um, the study was retracted. And so this is one of these things where if you ever hear someone cite a, a Wakefield study, you should just laugh. But it instead, I, you know, you say, you know, it, it launched a thousand conspiracy theories, a million conspiracy theories, and fed people like Jenny McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy based a lot of her stuff on Wakefield. Many of the stars out there and 
sort of health advocates and a lot of these anti-vaxxers, sort of famous anti-vaxxers, to this day will cite Wakefield. In fact, just a couple years ago, there was a documentary that came out called Vaxxed that was about Wakefield. It got major play all over the country. I think it's on Netflix now. Robert De Niro talked about how he was inspired not to vaccinate his children because of Vaxxed. Again, a documentary based on Wakefield, who is who lost his medical practices and was found to be fraudulent and unethical. So the modern anti-vax movement is based entirely on a lie, and yet we we are still dealing with it today. And I have spent a good chunk of my career, at least at IWF, trying to combat this misinformation, which, again, (laughs) I swear, has it's a cat. It has nine lives. It just never seems to go away. And you do have a great piece on this on the IWF website, so people can definitely check this out there. Um, Before we get into the serious... Of seriousness of measles and what parents should do and the importance of vaccinations. I'm curious before we turn to that, where is the anti-vaccination movement today as we're seeing this epidemic of measles outbreaks in the country? Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting, Beverly. It's a really tough question because the internet has been both a blessing and a curse. You've got a lot of Facebook groups dedicated to spreading this misinformation and scaring people about the specific ingredients in uh, vaccines, which, you know, it, it, none of this is true, the conspiracies and the sort of fears of the ingredients. But these Facebook groups and different chat groups and, and Facebook, and not just Facebook, but also websites have cropped up to sort of give life to these theories. Um, but at the same time, the Internet has been wonderful for combating these uh, these rumors and these conspiracies. And there's just as many support groups and Facebook groups dedicated to getting the truth out. So um, I do think that the anti-vax movement, especially with this latest outbreak and especially with the situation on our southern border, where, and it's not just our southern border. I mean, you have got people just a couple weeks ago, they were able to intercept people from Africa, people from Bangladesh, uh, people from other Asian countries, and again, a lot from Africa coming into the country. So we're not just talking about South American countries which is really important because if you look at the vaccination rate of South American countries, they tend to be high because they they have these large vaccination um, uh, sort of programs in these countries. countries. So there's a high rate of vaccination, which which should reassure us. The problem is it's not just uh, uh, South Americans and and people from Latin American countries coming into the country. Again, these people are, we're we're seeing Bangladeshis. These countries, and in Africa and in Bangladesh, for instance, there are huge outbreaks of infectious diseases. Um, So it it really is a concern. But again, I think those, the outbreaks that we're seeing in the United States and the outbreaks worldwide are starting to concern people. And it's making people question this sort of anti-vax message, which is, you know, oh, as long as your child is vaccinated, you can't get it, and all this, and, and oh, vaccinations are so dangerous. So it's, I think um, we're starting to see a sea change here. I think the anti-vax movement is actually losing steam. Out of curiosity, I, I think the epidemic of measles, I think, first of all, those who were vaccinated, I was one of those, the majority of people my age and older were, we don't realize how dangerous it is. Tell us about measles, how bad it is, what is this meaning, especially for infants who can't be vaccinated right away, and for people with autoimmune diseases. Well, you know, you you talk to your grandmother. Now, look, you know, my, my, I'm older than you, and my grandmother, both of my grandmothers are deceased. My father's grandmother is still alive, though. You talk to her, 
children dying was was not that unusual. She, members of her family, young babies died. Um, it, you know, the, I, I often talk about this uh, census that was done in the Hell's Kitchen region of New York City. That is a small section, sort of considered a neighborhood, right? It's like it's not a borough, but it's like a neighborhood within Manhattan. There was a census done in 1900, okay, so we're talking 119 years ago, okay, that's not that long ago. In 1900, there was a census done. Guess how many babies died per week? Per week. Um, I won't make you guess. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, 1,500 babies died per week in one little section of New York City. Now, we have to remember, in 1900, Health Kitchen of New York was was tenement housing. We're talking 25 people packed in one room. No, not really good sense of germ theory, very bad sanitation conditions, not a lot of clean water, um, you know, and again, cramped quarters, right? We're talking about washing machines and every, you know, you know, uh, you know Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez complains about, you know, not having a disposal, okay, in, in her New York apartment. This was not like this. This was terrible, terrible conditions that people were living in. And But still, 1,500 babies per week died, okay? So 100 years ago, or 120 years ago, the the sight of seeing a, an infant die wasn't that unusual today of course we 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 are not we don't remember that the other thing that was normal back then is seeing people suffer from terrible diseases that could maim blind they could make you go de- lose your hearing they could cause brain damage there were ch- children that were delayed because they had caught a disease that you know, messed with their development um and so encephalitis i mean and death and so so we don't see that today then of course in the later in the 40s and 50s you had a problem with polio people and my mother my mother my we had my mother had a cousin who was in an iron lung and then and then was crippled for the rest of of his life so we don't see that today and 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 so that part, it, dr paul offit one of the uh, the most well-respected infectious disease doctors in the United States has this amazing quote. He says, we didn't just eradicate the diseases, we eradicated the memory of the diseases. And so we've got a problem in this country of, of just having it so good <laughs> that people stop thinking that they need to do what has made life so good. Um, so that is that is a definite problem is the fact that people do not see uh, the results of these diseases. So, Julie, like you were saying, that the memory is gone. So tell us what parents actually need to do. I think more and more parents are saying, okay, I need to vaccinate my child. But how dangerous is this now that we have so many children that weren't vaccinated? And this this comes to what you were saying earlier, which is the herd mentality. How does that factor in? Um, well, this is important to know. So I'm going to just let's talk about some of the things you'll hear from an anti-vax parent, right? You'll say, hey, so I'll, I'll pretend I'm an anti-vax parent. I'll say, hey. If your child is vaccinated, then my unvaccinated child doesn't pose a risk. This is false. And the reason this is false, and this is also, I just did a paper on this. It'll be up on IWF as well. The reason this is false is the um, measles vaccine, it, it takes two doses to be fully inoculated. And you're, even then, you're not fully inoculated. It's 93% uh, effective for the first dose, Okay. That means you have seven percent chance of still contracting an infectious disease. That's that's significant. It's not still like, high. It's not still high. Seven percent. But it's still it's still something. These after the second dose, it goes to something like ninety six or ninety seven percent. So let's be very clear here: the measles vaccine is not one hundred percent effective. That's the first thing. Secondly, 
when someone says, if my child isn't vaccinated, they don't pose a risk to your child. Well, they do if they become infected, which, as I mentioned earlier, the the reason we have done away with the eradication of these diseases is these diseases are coming home and they they are finding hosts. They are finding bodies that are not vaccinated against it, so they are infecting this, and it can spread. So the next group of people, newborns, we all know, you know, as a mother of three children, you can't get your child vaccinated against measles for 12 months. So imagine you have a newborn, you can't get the first measles vaccine until 12 months. What are you supposed to do? Stay in your in your house and order Peapod for groceries? It's insane, and it really is so horrible to these new mothers who have to walk around with their newborn hoping they don't get coughed on by an unvaccinated person who has contracted these diseases. Thirdly, people who are immuno, immunocompromised. These are cancer, cancer people who are suffering from cancer and certain other diseases and allergies. These people, my mother, for instance, has certain allergies that prevent her from getting certain vaccines. So those people are vulnerable. And, and, and you know, obviously certain pregnant women are vulnerable. So you've got a demographic in this country who cannot be vaccinated for medical reasons and newborns and the, oh and I, I didn't mention the elderly often the elderly elderly just cannot be vaccinated and so you do have these demographics and as someone who or a child who is not vaccinated you are a healthy host for this disease and as this disease is spreading as these outbreaks are now happening what 25 states and 1200 or 100 over over 1000 people um, the spread then starts to ex- grow exponentially. More and more people can be, they're trying to contain it. The CDC is working very hard to contain it, and they've done a good job. But, this, but that, is, that is important for people to understand. When you choose to forego vaccines, you are putting your neighbor in danger. It is not just a matter of you and your family. And also, I don't understand how you could ever do that. Because the, the, the other thing people don't understand, measles is incredibly contagious. It can stay in the air. You can cough, and four hours later, someone could touch the handrail where your spit landed or where your snot landed, and they can contract measles. And this is the other thing. You can be contagious for 10 days and not show any symptoms. So you're walking around, coughing on everyone, and you don't know you're contagious. The last thing I will say about this and what parents need to understand, it is an incredibly dangerous disease. It can blind. It can render you deaf. It can cause encephalitis, which can cause brain damage, and it can kill you. Hundreds of thousands of people around the world die every year of measles. So this idea, and this is the other thing anti-vaxxers are going to always do, they're always going to go to the Brady Bunch show where the entire family contracted measles, and it was just a rip-roaring good time as they were sitting sitting around pockmarked and trying not to itch each other. And that is, that's a very rosy version of it and certainly some people do contract measles and don't die but there is a chance and when we live in a country where people won't even let their kids take a walk around the block because of the you know one one trillionth chance that they're going to be kidnapped there is a very good chance that your child could have complications from measles and yet you still have a demographic in this country that won't vaccinate it is mind-bogglingly stupid i don't mean to call people stupid but it really is not a smart choice Vaccinations are safe and effective, and they work, and they not only protect you, but they protect your neighbor. 
And so this leads to the question of what do we do? So obviously you mentioned the CDC is getting involved in this, but yeah. are people looking to government to force parents to vaccinate? Would you support something like that, especially when some people opt out for religious reasons? So yeah. what do we do? Well, I'd like to touch on the religious reasons. There's almost there's literally no established religious religions that um, that discourage vaccination. Even the Christian scientists say vaccinate and then pray you don't have adverse side effects. The Catholic Church, the Pope, has issued a special dispensation saying everyone should vaccinate. There were some some vaccinations that were derived from aborted cells, and that certainly is disturbing for someone like me who's Catholic and pro-life. But the, the, the Pope is saying, look, the greater good here is the millions that have been saved, millions that are saved every year from vaccination. So the religious exemption thing, you know, look, unless you're like a member of the Church of No Vaccination, um, there isn't a lot. There are some 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 Jewish populations and some some evangelical um, churches, but they're very small, meaning meaning this should account for a very small part of the population, and yet a lot of people say that they have a religious exemption. Um, I do, I, I, on, on the forcing people to vaccinate, this is a real test of my libertarianism. I do, I, I, I do not think that the government should force anyone to do anything uh, as pro-vax as I am, as, as, and I think you can detect in my voice how passionate I am about this issue, um, I still don't think that the government has any business sticking anything in any child if a parent doesn't, doesn't approve of it. However, I will say there's an awful lot of taxpayer-funded programs out there that I think should be denied to parents who refuse to vaccinate their children. They do not deserve to get government services if their irresponsible behavior is going to cost the government in things like containing an outbreak. Um, so I think that schools – now, we, you have to remember that um, in addition to a religious exemption, and I don't think that they should get, a, get rid of the religious exemption. I'm just trying to point out that that's not a big bucket of people. But there's another exemption that is used and abused by the anti-vaxxers, and that is the personal objection uh, um, exemption. And so many p parents use this. This is why we have a thriving anti-vax movement. Currently, 17 states allow for personal objection exemption. That needs to end. States need to stop doing that. You shouldn't just be able to walk in and say, you know what, I'm anti-vax and I want an exemption. So I think people should be allowed to, to have a religious exemption. That is a very small bucket of people, um, but not the, a personal exemption, which, um, which again, is, a, is, a, is sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card for the anti-vaxxers. Um, I, so, I, so in addition to denying people certain, um, uh, certain exemptions, um, I, you know, I think food programs, I think any kind of welfare programs, sh you should have to certify that you vaccinated your child. I think that healthcare companies should start uh, charging higher rates. If you don't vaccinate your child and show certification of that, then you should have to pay more in insurance rates. Um, I think that also state and locals should start tracking doctors who are giving letters for exemptions. Um, I think they should be discouraged from supporting this this sort of behavior. So I think there are a lot of ways in which we can encourage people to do the right thing without forcing them. 
So let's talk about what parents should do. You talk about the 12 months that a child needs to wait in order to even get a vaccination. Obviously, that's a very scary time, when, especially when you're talking about how contagious this is and how deadly it can be. What do parents do in the meantime? They're not going to just order from Peapod and stay inside. Are there certain states or certain counties, something they should look for to see if they're more susceptible based on the population that decided not to vaccinate in their area? Or what would you encourage parents to do? There certainly are state, um, you know, departments of health that you can check the, the, the outbreak rates and you can check specifically the CDC is very good about uh, tracking these. In fact, uh, every single one of the outbreaks, I actually read the data on every single one of the outbreaks and every single one of the outbreaks was traced back to an unvaccinated person who traveled overseas, Israel, the Philippines, all experiencing major, major measles outbreaks. And then they returned home infected and then consequently infected their neighbors and communities. Um, so you can check on that kind of thing and you can see pockets. Like, for instance, uh, many of the, the outbreaks in New York were in the Jewish community and in certain schools. There have been some outbreaks in the Northeast, um, or I'm sorry, the Northwest that were centered in certain schools. So, so citizens can inform themselves of you know, perhaps where these outbreaks are originating, where um, they're occurring, and sort of avoid those areas. Although, usually when these um, outbreaks are detected, those people are quarantined, and the CDC is, is uh, sort of will monitor that situation. Um, so states also have a lot of information on this. Um, so, you know, check the CDC website, check your state um, health department website, listen to the news, Google measles. I have, a, I have a Google alert. I read about measles every single day. Um, but I think really, you know, I think everyone should feel fairly confident that the CDC is on this, really trying to contain these outbreaks, and hopefully we'll see a reduction in the number of infections in the next couple months. And that's what I was curious from you. Do you think we will see a reduction? And is there any fear that any other type of diseases could um, find themselves back into the yeah. public discussion in addition to measles? Yeah, we've got some real outbreaks of tuberculosis. Ebola still has reemerged in Africa, and we have Africans coming over uh, in the southern border. Tuberculosis is very present in some of the immigrants coming over the southern border. Um, And uh, whooping cough is another one that has reemerged. So, yes, there is a possibility that we'll see some other diseases reemerging. I do think that we'll see a reduction. Look, we we have teenagers who are going behind their parents' backs and getting themselves vaccinated in this country. (laughs) Um, because they are so nervous about this. So I think we are starting to see a reversal, not a total reversal, but a a bit of a slowing down. And hopefully over the next couple of years, we can really get a hold of this anti-vax movement and public health officials and also private doctors um, and private practice. This is one other solution I said in, in the papers that I've written. I don't think doctors should accept patients who do, who choose to forego vaccines. I think that the medical community has a duty, um, and as we all have a duty to each other as part of the social contract, uh, you know, do no, do no harm to your neighbor. Um, and I think doctors are a part of that and, and need to refuse, literally refuse medical service to families that, that, um, that don't va- vaccinate. Obviously, this isn't a private practice. I'm not talking refusal to hospital. Um, so I think these are all steps, and hopefully we will see a slowing down of the infections, certainly no more outbreaks. And, and then, as a result, a higher vaccination rate in the United States, which will prevent these outbreaks in the future. 
Final question for you, because we can see now the damage that this type of information um, getting out there, which is based on research of somebody who was obviously not practicing good ethics when he um, came across this issue on vaccinations and claiming it related to, to autism. Do you think that there may be a trend where people are more a little bit more curious or want to do a little bit more research before they go with these trends? Um, do you see a reversal of this type of behavior? Well, Look, we live in such good times. I mentioned Hell's Kitchen in 1900, where 1,500 babies were living today or were dying every every week, and today we have none of that. And we are a society, to some degree, that looks for grievance and looks for things to be worried about. We live in, just to give another example, today the crime rate specifically towards children, violence towards children, murder of children is as at a record low the last time the crime rate was so low in fact i mean across all across the board on all crimes uh you know rape murder you know uh, assault we didn't have color television okay and um, we are living in inc- exceptionally safe times and most of my neighbors won't let their kid walk to the 711 which is like a quarter mile from my house okay it's like from the neighborhood it's not that far to back to to buy a pack of, uh, of gum. And I, I'm talking like 10-year-olds aren't allowed to be on their bikes without a parent with them. It's insane. Um, and so we look, we, we live in incredibly uh, safe times, and yet we act like we live in a war zone. Um, and so as with vaccinations, we don't see the disease. We don't see the effects of the disease, what it can do to people, how it can maim people and, and cripple them and harm them for the rest of their lives. And so we suddenly say, you know, I don't know that I really need a vaccine. In fact, in fact, maybe vaccines are, are, uh, are related to all these problems. The only thing vaccines are connected to is a long life. And so, you know, hopefully, um, and I mean, that's why I run my program, to remind people of the good times that we live in, to remind people of the benefits of modern medicine and modern vaccines and, um, and modern treatments. And so I, I hope that this incident, this latest outbreak, will sort of jog the memory of people and, um, and really knock some sense into them. Well, Julie, thank you so much for your work and your time today. I'm sure you get lots of interesting Twitter responses to your work and have over the years. So thank you for always being a person who is a strong defender of good research and information. So thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for joining us. If you have more interest in the topic we discussed, you can follow Julie on Twitter at jgunlock, that's J-G-U-N-L-O-C-K, and do check out many of her other articles on a wide variety of issues on the Independent Women's Forum website. You can find them at iwf.org. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It really does help, and we'd love it if you would share this episode and let your friends know where they can can find more She Thinks episodes. So from all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.